All right, well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. Uh, we love it that you're here. I hope you don't just hear that. Uh, we talk about love a lot, love moves. That's on your bulletin. We have it on T-shirts and all that kind of stuff. We don't want you just to hear that you're loved. Uh, we want you to feel that you're loved. So hopefully you felt that as you walked into this room, as you sang songs, as you uh, saw the greeters when you walked in, as you dropped off your kids. That's our desire for you. Uh, and so hopefully you continue to feel that as we get into God's word and see his love for us revealed to us through his word. Uh, as we get into the sermon today, uh, we're in part three of our series on prayer. Today we're looking at persistence of prayer. Uh, recently, I came across a study on sunscreen. Uh, because when you're my complexion and you live in Arizona, you come across studies like that. And uh, it was a study done by the Queensland Institute of Medical Research in Australia. And essentially what they did was they took 900 adults and they took them for four years and just tested them and followed up with them on their skin condition. And half of those adults, what they did was they just uh, let them put SPF 15 on their face, on their arms and things like that every single day, no matter what. Whether it was a cloudy day, whether it was a sunny day, every single day they put SPF 15 on every single day. Now, half the people did that. The other half did what they wanted with sunscreen and did like probably many of us do. We put on SPF 100 when we're going to the beach or when it's a really sunny day in Phoenix. But the other days we have nothing on. And what they found was the half that put on little old SPF 15 every single day, Four years later, there was no detectable changes in their skin condition. Now, now, why is that? Because they did something over and over and over. And it wasn't just anything. They did something that was powerful, that was effective, that's needed, right? Sunscreen, amen, Phoenix? We need some sunscreen. They did something over and over and over. Now, that's a helpful tip for you as you wear sunscreen. That's a freebie. But it's more than that, right? That reveals a principle that we know from Scripture that, that something that we do over and over, like obedience, over and over and over, not just sometimes, not just once, but something that we do over and over is, is effective, can be powerful. And as Jesus gets into our passage today, he's going to talk about prayer like that. That prayer isn't powerful, effective, transformative when we just do it sometimes. That prayer isn't, prayer isn't powerful, effective, transformative in our lives and the lives of others when we just talk about doing it. Like when we throw up hashtag thoughts and prayers on social media. Or we say, hey, I'm going to pray for you, but we, we don't actually do it. Prayer isn't powerful that way. Prayer is powerful when we do it without ceasing. When we do it consistently. When we do it over and over and over. Every day. Whether it's a great day, God is good, or whether it's a bad day, I need your help, God. Whether it's a tragedy in our nation and in our world, or everything is sunny and amazing, we pray. And there's power in the daily, persistent, consistent prayer. That's the way it's set up in all the Bible. That's the way Jesus paints it in Luke 18. Now, we just read it a few minutes ago, but I would love for you to look along with me. Uh, grab a Bible. If you don't have one, there should be one on an armrest right beside you. Uh, as a side note, uh, as you come to our church, especially if you are new, uh, we think the Bible is a really big deal because it reveals the person and work of Jesus Christ. 
Okay, so if you've gone to churches and maybe you have this idea of church where a guy stands up on stage and he explains the Bible to you, you receive that, get fed, and then leave out of this place, maybe inspired for 30 minutes as you go eat lunch. If that's your concept of church, that's not the way we do church. And that's not the most helpful way to do church. The most helpful way to do church is this. It's to learn together God's word for you to open it yourself, look on your phone if you need to. And, and dissect this so that, why? So that when you leave here, it's not just 30 minutes of inspiration. It's a week long of you continuing to be equipped with uh, God's word so that you can live it out in your life. All right? And so I want you to look at God's word. We're going to look at it together as we go here. Verse 1, look at that with me. It says this, uh, that Jesus tells a parable. Uh, that's a story to prove a point. If you're not familiar, he, he tells us a story to prove a point. And Jesus tells a lot of stories to prove points, but in this case, he's very generous. Notice what he does. Right off the bat, he gives us the point of the parable. Not, not always happens uh, when Jesus gives us parables. Sometimes he gives us parables, and we're like, what does that mean, the seed? Or, you know, what do these things mean? Right away, he gives us the point of the parable, and it's this. Look at the text with me. He says, to the effect that, or for the purpose of, that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So Jesus tells a story, and right off the bat, here's the big idea of the story. Always pray, don't lose heart. This story is going to reveal those two principles. And some context for you, Luke 17, right before this, Jesus is talking about the coming of his kingdom. Right? The coming of his kingdom. That the kingdom of Jesus is, is already, but it's not yet. It's here, but it's also coming. If you read the Gospels, you see that language over and over and over. It's at hand, it's here, it's also coming. And, and just briefly, what that looks like is it's here right now, the kingdom of Jesus in our hearts. That as we obey the rule and reign of God in our hearts, in our lives, that's the kingdom of Jesus. It's already here. But it's not yet fully here in that one day Jesus is going to come back fully physically and he's going to reign in his kingdom over all the earth in a tangible way. And so Luke 17, that's what it talks about. It's going to be glorious when that happens. But Jesus says in Luke 17, before it happens, there's going to be difficulty. Before that happens, there's going to be difficulty. Now, do you think Jesus knew what he was talking about? Yeah. I mean, look around. There is difficulty in our world. There is difficulty in your life. We're experiencing some of the difficulty that Jesus is describing in Luke 17. And so as he comes to Luke 18, he says, hey, always pray and don't lose heart. Hey, it's going to be difficult in the world. It's going to be difficult in your life. And so here's the remedy. Always pray. It's powerful, it's effective, it's transformative. When you, when you always pray, when you pray persistently, because life is difficult. Now, here's what's interesting, is many of us know that with our minds, but we don't live that with our lives, right? That many of us, we, we know life is difficult. Uh, even just my, my daily life, there's some difficulties, right? Uh, life is difficult in our world. There's racism, there's violence, there's hatred. There's financial stress, right? Life is, is difficult personally. Life is different, difficult globally. And we think, yeah, we, we know we should pray. God's given us the remedy. Pray always. 
But what we often do is the opposite of that. Right? When life gets kind of difficult, some of us will say this, like, I just don't have time to pray right now. I mean, the schedule's kind of crazy. The kids are doing all these extracurricular activities. I just really don't have time just to sit down and pray. Tim, work is just really chaotic. I'm working 60 to 70 hours a week right now. I don't have time just to sit down and pray with my spouse. Like, when am I going to do that? And we think, well, life's kind of difficult. I don't really have time to pray. Or we think, life's difficult. I've prayed. Like, Tim, I've tried that. It doesn't work for me. Like, my prayers hit the ceiling. Other prayers, I mean, I'm sure they're powerful, effective, transformative, but my life's kind of difficult. Maybe prayer doesn't work. And so listen, what's amazing about Jesus, again, is he knows that struggle. He knows it's going to be difficult. He knows even though we should pray, we won't pray. And so in his grace, he enters into that struggle and speaks directly into it. And he does so with this story, this parable about this widow. Uh, We're introduced to this widow in verse 3. And I want you to see two things about this widow, that she is desperate in position, and she's desperate in circumstance. This widow that we're introduced to, that this story is about, she's desperate in position, she's desperate in circumstance. Desperate in position, what does that mean? Well, a widow in that society was the most defenseless person you could be. Not only was she a woman, which in that society they weren't respected, Uh, We're going to talk about a judge here. We're going to see like an atmosphere of a courtroom that in that day, a woman's testimony wasn't considered uh, viable. It wasn't accepted. Not only is she a woman in this society, she's a widow. So she's lost her husband. She's lost her way of provision. She's lost her comfort in life. We see that in James chapter 1 where it says pure religion is this. It's to serve orphans and who? Widows, in their affliction, it says. So orphans and widows, serving them, that's the purest religion there is. That's the best way to show God to other people. That's who needs God the most is orphans and widows. And so as we hear this story about a widow, she is desperate in her position in life. But she's also desperate in circumstance. Look at the text. It says she has an adversary. And the judge she is pleading with against her adversary, who's brought an injustice against her, the judge she is pleading with for justice, he's unjust. He's kind of a punk. If you look at it, twice in this passage, it says he neither feared God nor respected man. He's kind of a punk. I'm sure there's other words we could use outside of church. That's the best I could come up with in church. He's kind of a punk. He's got the double whammy. You know those kind of people who are like... um, but he believes in God, but he's just not really good with people. You know those people? And you know those other people that you're like, man, they are so nice. How can they not believe in God? This guy checks neither one of those boxes. Doesn't fear God, doesn't believe in God, and is also kind of a jerk and unjust to people. He doesn't respect people. And that's the judge that this widow who's in a desperate position already, this is the judge she has to go to in the story. She's desperate in position. She's desperate in circumstance. Now, why such an extreme example? Like, why such an extreme story? Why a widow? I mean, Jesus tells stories, parables all the time, and he uses people like farmers or priests, right? 
Why a widow? Why these specific circumstances with this punk judge? Why does Jesus use such an extreme example? There's an adversary. She's seeking justice. She probably won't find it with these circumstances. Why so extreme? Here's why. Is with this story, Jesus is teaching us a posture of desperation. A posture of desperation. That's our first point we're going to see this morning, that if we're going to be persistent prayers, our posture, it's desperation. You, you see, who, who's the widow in this story? We are. Right? You are. I am. That we have a, a posture of desperation. We should have a posture of desperation in our position and in our circumstances. And Jesus is trying to paint this picture of this helpless, utterly helpless woman on her own. She's utterly helpless, just like we are. That we should have a posture of desperation as we come to our prayer lives. You see, here's my concern for a lot of us. Even in this room, is that we've lost that posture of desperation. At some point, we had the posture of desperation, but maybe it's, it's faded, like maybe when you first started to learn the Bible, yeah, you had a posture of desperation. You just thought, man, I don't really know this. This is really confusing. 66 books, 40-plus authors written over 1,500 years, Old Testament, New Testament. How am I supposed to apply all this? And the Gospels, why are there four of those? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four accounts of the same story. And maybe when you first started to learn the Bible, you were desperate. You're like, I don't know all this. I don't understand all this. And you have a, a posture of desperation. Maybe at some point in life, maybe when you were in college and you were pursuing that spouse and you had a posture of desperation. Like, I don't know if she likes me. I don't know if I can get this girl. And you had a posture of desperation. Maybe when you had your first kid, she cries all the time. How do I do this as a parent? You got a, a posture of, of desperation. You're like, God, how do I follow you and, and do all these things? How do I learn your word? You got a, a posture of desperation. But at some point, that began to fade. Can you relate to this? At some point, through going through life, you lost that a little bit. You got older. You got maybe in your eyes wiser, and you just thought, well, I know a little bit now. And you lost that posture of desperation. You see, here's my fear for a lot of us, is that we will replace desperation with knowledge and familiarity. We'll replace desperation with knowledge and familiarity. And so we'll think, hey, I, I know some of the Bible now. I can talk about the Bible now. I can even debate some secondary theologies with some other people from the Bible. I, I could get some answers right on a quiz about the Bible. I got some knowledge. We think, I have some familiarity now. Like, I kind of know how to do the Christian thing. I know what to say to people when they ask me how I'm doing. I know when somebody says Luke 18, I don't need the table of contents. I know exactly where to flip. And we have knowledge and we have familiarity, and so we lose our desperation. Listen, that is one of the most dangerous places you could ever be in life is to wake up in the morning and think, I got this. Right? I got this. Man, I can talk somebody under the table about Calvinism and Arminianism. I got this. 
right? I know some things. I could quote some scriptures. I got one on a coffee mug. I got this. And we can lose that desperation and replace it with intellect, with familiarity. And I think, just, just so you know, I think for a place like Phoenix, I know we're a little unchurched and studies still show that. But there's enough churches here and there's enough Christian subculture here where this is a huge danger for us. And that Jesus is painting a picture of a widow for this audience, but he's painting a picture of a widow for us because we've lost our desperation. And we need to regain that. We need to recapture that desperation no matter how much we know, no matter how much you've sat in a pew or a chair, in our case, in church. We need to recapture that desperation. Why? Because it's this desperation, it's this posture of desperation that leads to a pursuit of relentlessness, of persistence in prayer. That if we don't realize, God, I, I am incapable. I know some stuff. I've grown, and God, thank you for that. But I am incapable of loving my spouse, loving my wife, as Christ loved the church, without your help. I mean, God, I know I'm supposed to love people, like love my neighbor as myself. God, I, I don't want to do that. I'm prideful. I'm selfish. God, I need your help to do that as a church. God, we want to make disciples of all nations. God, we want to reach the lost. We want to equip the saved. God, we want to reach this city. We want to uphold truth, engage culture, actually love people. God, God, we want to do that. And I don't know if we can do that. And we have sin, sickness, and strife. God, we're, we're desperate for you to move. You see, when we have a posture of desperation, we have a pursuit that's relentless. And, and Jesus is painting that picture because you and I need that, right? You and I need that. And so that's our second point. Our pursuit is relentless when we realize our posture is desperate. Notice verse 4. Look at the text again with me. Verse 4, it says this judge, this punk judge, for a while he refused to give her justice. But then, verse 5, something changes. He says, I will give her justice. What changed? So she kept bothering me. She kept beating me down. Literally, this means she gave him a black eye. Right? In the original language, she gave him a black eye. She was going after him over and over and over. And so he granted her justice. Uh, just the other day, I was calling Cox Communications about my internet. And uh, I was calling them after about three months of putting this off. Our bill had spiked up. And I think they know this and maybe do this on purpose. If you work for Cox, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm really going to be sorry after this, so just wait. Um, but I think they were doing it on purpose because they know, what do they know? You're not going to call. Like, you're not going to call unless you just want frustration in your life. You think, I need more annoying things in my life. You're not going to call Cox. And so for like three months, my wife and I would talk, like, we need to call about the bill. It's not what it should be. We need to call. And I'm like, I would rather go run. Like, I'd rather go do something else, eat broccoli, than call Cox, right? So one day, I finally cratered, and I called Cox just this last week. And you know the drill. I'm talking to a representative, and they're like, you know, uh, Tim, I appreciate you calling. This is the best we can do. The rate is what it is, right? I'm just a representative. I don't make the rules. You've heard it all, right? 
And so I'm talking to him, and I'm, I'm trying to be really calm. I prayed and fasted beforehand, and I just said, God, please help me. And I said, okay, yeah, I, I know you can't do anything, but, you know, I mean, just maybe, like, we've been Cox customers for a long time. You know, we, we pay our bill on time every week. Like, maybe you could just bring it back to what it was. He's like, no, sir, but you know what I can do is I can give you a promotion. We have an amazing promotion where you can get TV, phone, and Internet, all wrapped into one for exactly what you're paying now for 12 months. To which I'm thinking, who uses a phone? I don't need that. And, I, and that's what I told them. I just said, hey, listen, I appreciate you trying to offer me that. I want the same service I have now for what I used to pay. And, of course, he's just like, sir, I'm sorry. We just, we can't do that. Like, we have these promotions. If you want one of those, and I'm like, listen, is there somebody else I can talk to? Right? Is there a supervisor, retention specialist? What have you got? Give me, give me, give me. Give me. Right. So he transfers me to the retention specialist. I get on the phone with him, and I said, hey, hey, I just, I've been a Cox customer. Again, they don't, they don't talk, right? So I give the whole thing again. And he's like, sir, this is the promotion we have. This is the, all we can do for you. And I, and I just keep going. I'm like, are you sure? Like, we've been customers for a long time. We just want the same speed. This could be a lot easier. We don't need to exchange a modem. And I just keep going and going and going. And listen, I almost gave up. I almost just got the new service or got the new promotion or just kept the $90 bill that we had. I almost gave up multiple times. But I just thought, no, 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 I need to keep going, right? I need to keep pressing in. I even got philosophical on him, <laughs> right? At one point, I was like, you know, in life, like, what is life without accountability? <laughs> I mean, really, like, if we can't work this out on the phone just between me and you, what's the point of living? <laughs> like, we got to do this, man, like it's me and you. Like, I was partnering up with him. Like, I was really going at it. And finally, he says, you know, I'm going to put you on a silent hold. And you know what happens. He comes back. And he says, you know what, sir? I just found this other promotion. <laughs> you won't believe it. But I can get you just a little bit faster, and uh, we can do it for $20 less than you're paying now. It won't be your original rate. And I'm like, you know what? You're my man. Appreciate that. On, on the phone, we did that. Locked arms. And it was a great deal. But listen, you know how many times I wanted to give up? Every single second of that phone call, right? I just like, I got things to do. I have a life to live. I'm wasting it right now. Life's a vapor, right? And I don't want to waste it on cocks. But I, but I was, and so I wanted to give up, but I just, I kept pressing in and pressing in and pressing in. You see, I think here's the reality for all of us in life, not just with our internet, is that we give up way too soon. We give up way too soon. We think, man, that's going to be difficult. I don't know if I want to do that. Man, I tried that for six weeks. I don't know if I want to keep doing that. Man, I, I did this 21-day prayer and fasting that Phoenix Bible Church is doing in, in correspondence with this series. And I tried it for two days, but fasting's kind of hard. Uh, leaving my social media, leaving my Netflix, leaving my food behind. And so two days, man, I don't want to keep doing that. And, and we give up too soon. We do this in relationships. We think, man, I'm going to try to get out there. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to meet somebody new. And you meet that person new, and it's kind of awkward, and we think, I, I'm never doing that again. Right? And we give up too soon. We think, man, I really want to grow. 2018 going to be a year of growth, of movement. The best is yet to come. Right? And then we get how many weeks in for you? 
I mean, I'd love to take a poll. That would just be interesting. We won't do that. We get 10 weeks in, four weeks in. Like, that's, that's too hard to grow. Like, I'll just go back to my old habits. And we give up too soon. I love this. George Mueller, who you may have heard of even in this church because he was a great man of prayer, late 1800s, started an orphanage did amazing things in the kingdom of God. He was a man of prayer. One specific story, there's so many, but he prayed for salvations for his friends. He prayed every single day that they would come to know Jesus. And in this account, in this story, it says one of his friends, after four years, he trusted in Jesus Christ. Another friend that he'd been praying for every single day, after six years, this guy trusted in Jesus Christ. The other two people he was praying for Trusted in Jesus Christ after George Mueller died. He didn't even get to see it. I was thinking about this. The first person he prayed for trusted in Christ after four years. Our church is three years old. Like, we haven't even been in existence that long, right? And just for me personally, Right? I'm like, I want all these amazing things to happen in our church. God, I've been praying for all these things to happen in our church, and, and we're doing some great things, and God's moving, but we're not quite there yet. And I think, God, what are you doing? God, why aren't you moving? And we, and we give up too soon in the church world. You give up too soon in your life, and you think, man, three years? Three years we've been a church? I, shouldn't be, I should be growing so much more than now than I am? And we start to give up too soon. Listen, George Mueller prayed for somebody for four years. That was, that was the, the least amount. It took four years for somebody to come to know Jesus. Our church has been in existence for three. Many of us give up too soon. God wants us to have a persistent prayer. Why? Why is it set up that way? Like maybe you're asking that. Maybe you've asked that before out of frustration. God, God why is it persistent, not instant? Why does it take four years? Why does it take three? Why does it take 10? Why does it take 20? Why does it take till we die? Why is it persistent, not instant? It's because through prayer, God moves his hand, but he also molds our hearts. You see, if you and I got what we wanted instantly, if we took our needs to God, whatever they are, and we said, God, these are some big needs. If you could just respond to this, and if God gave that to you in an instant, you would miss out on your ultimate need. Why? Because your ultimate need isn't to get stuff from God, isn't to have the needs you think you need so badly met. Your ultimate need is relationship with God. How does relationship happen? Talk. You listen every day, every day, for three years, for 30 years, for the rest of your life, God begins to not just move through prayer, but mold your heart through prayer. If God gave you that in an instant, you would miss out on your ultimate need, which is a relationship with God. And so Jesus is painting this picture that our relentless should be, our pursuit should be relentless. Why? Because God molds our heart through that process. The last point I want you to see is this, is that our promise is sure. Look at verse 8 with me. It says, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? What Jesus does here is he contrasts in this story an unrighteous, unjust judge with a righteous and just Heavenly Father. And he says, if you pray to this God, he's going to respond speedily to you. 
He's going to give the elect, the children of God, those who have trusted in him, he's going to respond and move in their prayers. He does it through a widow to an unjust judge as she goes after him over and over and over. And he says, hey, if that's going to happen, how much more is he going to do that through a just, righteous father? That our promise is sure in prayer. He says, will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? The answer is yes. Now, it may be three years, it may be 30 years, it may be in eternity. But God always moves through prayer. Now, some of us doubt that, right? Like, it's gotta, I, I've been praying for my friend to come to know Jesus. It, it's not happening. I've been praying for my spouse to come to know Jesus. Not happening. I've been praying for this ailment in my life. Nothing's changed, right? I've been praying about this job and this provision. Nothing's changed. Does God really always move through prayer as we're persistent in prayer? I love this. Tim Keller said this in his book on prayer. He said, God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knows. Isn't that great? Let me read that again. God will either give us what we ask or he'll give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knows. You see, unlike this unjust, unrighteous judge, God the Father in heaven, he's holy. He is just. He is righteous. He's all-knowing. What we see in part, he sees in full. And so when you have a relentless pursuit, a posture of desperation toward that God, man, he always moves. It's just a matter of, is it the way we want him to do it, right? But when we have a a just and righteous, all-powerful God, he gives us the right response. We just may not be able to see it. What if we believe that? How different will we pray? How much more desperation would we have? How much more relentlessness would we have in our relationships, in our conflict, in our church, in our world, if we trusted and said, God, you're going to give me what's best. If I knew everything you knew, you're ultimately answering my prayers. How different would you approach your prayer life? What would that look like? Uh, As we talk about what this looks like, I, I think it's helpful to give examples And I could give you some examples from my life, um, but I'd rather give you an example in another life uh, in our church, and that is uh, happens to be my wife, uh, Jaya. And so she's going to come to the stage and talk about what this looks like in her life. Would you guys welcome my wife to the stage? Tim said, I uh, probably like a lot of you um, often think of persistent prayer as something that just, it takes a lot of extra time. I don't have time for that. Or I have to sit down for hours. I don't have time for that. Or just the idea that God gets tired of hearing our request over and over again. And that's just not true. Um, God has definitely recently just been softening my heart and just revealing to me how he desires for us to come to him with all of our needs and all of our um, desires. And so um, I love this. It says in Matthew 7, um, 7, 8, it showed it on the video that 
that we watched earlier, but it says, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. So for me, um, I try to consistently have time with the Lord every morning. This doesn't happen every morning. Um, I have kids that I think have like a supernatural sense that I'm awake, and so they're up like right away. Or I just get distracted or just busy with um, just with the day. But um, I typically try to start that time with journaling, um, reading God's word, and praying. And so when I'm journaling, I'll try to write down just little parts of just a prayer um, and then just desires I have and... Um, just scriptures that God brings to mind. But I know that it's really important to fix my eyes on the character of God. So I definitely always try to start out with who God is. So you are you are sovereign over all. You know all. You love me. You are trustworthy. And just fixing my eyes on who God is. And, and this just really, I don't know for you, but I know those things intellectually, but I feel like my heart has to be reassured of the character of God. So when I bring these, these requests to him, I know that he knows who I am, and I know that he knows what's best for me. Um, I wanted to share just a little bit uh, from my journal. It's not like anything classified or anything like too personal, but uh, this is what I wrote a few weeks ago, and it's just a way that kind of sets our heart of knowing he he is someone who desires for us to come to him over and over again. Um, and so it says, Father, you are so faithful in all your ways, mighty to save, patient. Um, you have given me these desires to pursue, um, I pray that you open the door for this position. May I be satisfied uh, where you have me. And so what's amazing is sometimes I can start my day with that prayer, um, but then, you know, the kids get up or I just get distracted or, you know, busy with the day, but then I've set this foundation for my day. And so whenever I have these thoughts that come up of like feeling inadequate or just feeling overwhelmed with having to make a decision or family stuff or friends, whatever it is, I come back to, okay, this is who you are, Lord. You are my place of refuge and you are constant and you desire um, to have your work done in this. And so it just definitely fixed my eyes on him and not myself. Um, and so persistence is those little thoughts or situations, and it builds from these little thoughts that we have throughout the day that we take them to him, and we see that um, we see him working in the bigger picture. And so right now, for me, I'm um, just kind of where I am right now. I'm in a season where I have kids in school and a little one at home, but I feel like she's kind of ready to to go to school somewhere, and so I feel like God has really been stirring my heart to possibly go back to work, and so um, I want to do something I'm passionate about, and God's gifted me with, and um, something that works well for the dynamics of our family, and so there was this job a few months ago that a friend of mine told me about, and I got referred, and went through the whole process, and and ended up not getting it and was really crushed by that because I felt like that's where God was leading me. And uh, But there was another opportunity that came up. And so I'm still kind of in this place of pursuing that, but then praying constantly, God, is this your will? Is this what you desire for me? I'm trusting him in that and just being content where, where he has me. And so um, last week I got to go, uh, from my college roommate lives in Texas, was in California. So I got to go to California and um, just... Got to spend some time on the beach by myself for a few hours. And so I was just reading and praying. And I feel like um, just as I was doing that, God, you know, was kind of laying my heart before the Lord and just trying to recognize who he is in all circumstances and everything, especially this that way was, has just been weighing so heavy on my heart. 
And God just brought me to verse John um, 10, 27 that says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And it was just in the midst of just this quiet moment of just being remem- just remembering that um, I knew his voice because being in constant communion with him, I know how he's leading me. I know the desires that he's putting in my heart. And so um, to just walk in that boldness of how he's leading me. But part of that was staying constant communication with him. And it doesn't mean it's this, you know, this one time in the morning, it's throughout the day. Thoughts that arise, it doesn't have to be anything eloquent with my words or just these long prayers. It's like, hey, God, you're in control. Like, you are good. This is on my heart. You know, I want to lay this before you. And he's working in the waiting. And God is teaching me, even in the waiting, like Tim was saying, he's working in that. And he's he's making us go from fixing our eyes here to fixing our eyes on him. And so, um, just last weekend, I feel like God really used that time, and so it moved me from a place of reflecting on the promises of God to taking um, hold of, I'm sorry, uh, the promises of God to taking hold of them for my situation, so being able to really apply who he is to my circumstances. So um, I would just ask that you would consider seeking and asking and knocking before the Lord and really seeking what is your desire and and not just letting your thoughts kind of go to what you want but really trusting okay I'm going to come to you over and over and over because that's what you want and that he is a loving father and he desires for you to do that to come to him um, with everything that you desire from him so thank you. That was awesome. Wasn't it? It was so good. Uh, no, I wanted you to hear from Jaya because I got to see up close and personal her prayer life. And, and so many times she does what I struggle to do, uh, which is what she just talked about, the daily just declaring the promises of God. You think, I don't know what to say to God in prayer? You just start with the promises of God. Start with his character. Start with who he is. Write that down. Repeat that in the morning. Assure yourself of that. And then when things happen in life, that's where the persistence comes in. It all begins to culminate. I love that you said we take these promises that we go over and over, assure ourselves of, and then we take hold of them for our situation. And so maybe you think persistent prayer, it's got to be this most elo- eloquent thing, and i got to know all this stuff. Just start with the character of God. Go through that over and over in your life. Um, I'm going to invite the band back up. Uh, we're going to practice some prayer in a moment. Um, but I just want you to think about uh, for your life, how, how's your prayer life? It's a good time to ask that question, amen? We're in a series on prayer, we're in a new year. How's your prayer life? Is this a struggle for you? Are you here and you would say, Tim, my prayer life is lacking. I don't pray as much as I should. My prayer life is non-existent. Today's a day where that can change. And some of us have tried that and we think, well, Tim, that's harder than it looks. And you're a pastor and your wife, I mean, that's different for you guys. And it's harder for me. It's hard for us too. It's difficult to pray. Why do you think Jesus starts this off with, don't lose heart? Because he knows it's difficult. And here's one of the reasons it's difficult, is prayer is a threat to the enemy. Prayer is a threat to the enemy. You know what's not a threat to the enemy? Scrolling on your phone for an hour. Watching hours and hours of Netflix. Why is that so easy to do? Well, the enemy doesn't care about that. You can sit on the couch for hours and watch shows and not pray. 
Because that's no threat to the enemy. You know what is a threat to the enemy? It's prayer. Powerful, effective, persistent prayer. So listen, that's why it's so hard to pray for five minutes. For me, for you. That's why it's so hard, husbands, for you to say, hey, hey, can we, can we pray together? And then something comes up, the bills, the kids. Why do you think that's so hard? It's because that's a threat to the enemy. So listen, I want to start in prayer and persistence in prayer and not just think, well, it's hard. I'm not going to try to do that. I want to acknowledge this is powerful. There's so many easier things we can do that aren't worth it. This is worth it. This is storming the gates of hell as we pray. Martin Luther, I think, said that prayer is not the preparation for the work or the better work. Prayer is the better work. God moves when we pray. And so we're going to take a moment to do that now. Would you just take a moment now, even just assessing your prayer life before God, confessing it before God, and talking to him, doing what Jaya said, declaring his promises, taking hold of them in your life. Would you do that for a moment? They're going to play behind you, and we're going to uh, end up worshiping. But take a moment to pray. God, I, I do pray, as these men and women are still praying, that this would be a start of a process of persistent prayer. God, that there may be sin in our life that has kept us from you. God, I pray in this moment we would pray a prayer of repentance, of confession, of turning from our sin and turning to you. God, I pray that this moment, that if, if we haven't celebrated you, if we haven't adored you in our prayers, God, I pray that this moment we would begin to do that. God, I pray in this moment that all of us can start here, that we can start to pray prayers of declaration of who you are and your faithfulness to us. You're not like that unjust judge. You don't even get bothered when we come to you. You answer us when we pray. You love us. And so, God, I pray that we would pray a prayer, all of us this morning, of declaration of that truth of your promises to us. And God, I pray that as we leave this place later today, as we sing songs even right now, as we take an offering, as we take communion, we would continue a lifestyle of prayer, of talking to our Father in heaven who gives us access directly to him now. Not when we clean everything up, but right now. God, I pray that we would come to you like that, even in this moment. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.